I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better. And welcome to part two of this week's Clash. So, Monday was a good day to die, according to Kiefer and Co, who saw visions of punchy kids in hoodies. Today, we dial up the horror, as getting beat up by a kid with a hockey stick is the least of Tim Robbins' worries, as he starts seeing actual demons on his deathbed from 1991 were climbing down Jacob's Ladder. Something's wrong, Jake. They're coming after me. I don't know who they are or what they are, but they're going to get me, and I'm scared, Jake. I've seen them too. Maybe the demons are real. He's running 106 feet. Ah! This is barbaric. I can get rid of the demons. Who are you? I can block the ladder. We'll have a winner at the end of the show, but which film will it be? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Brothers. It was a car accident. How did it happen? No one really knows. They say it blew up. I'm Alex Zane. <laughs> I'm Vicky Crumpton. I'm Chris Tilly. Uh, very quickly, um, let me just remind you, if you haven't subscribed to us already, please do. If you haven't given us a rating, and if possible, wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or indeed other, a little review, it's hugely appreciated. Our end, isn't it, Christopher? Very much so. Um, and what I was going to do this week is read out a couple of nice reviews that we received oh, on oh, look Apple. At that. That's, that's amazing. I didn't even know. And I just sort of naturally, because we can read each other, even recording remotely, naturally read that you had something to say there. It's, I wasn't prepped at all for that. Yes. So we might we might read these out. If you if you fancy putting oh. a, a review up, we might make this a regular oh. feature, unless no one writes any more reviews. So here's the two that have come from the last week. Uh, the first one is from Invicta Grace Jones, which is a hell of a name. <laughs> um <laughs> And Invicta Grace Jones has written, it's like having a bunch of friends round, 
really funny and warm, smart friends who make you laugh so much your face hurts. So oh. Victor Grace Jones is oh. implying that we're friends. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, we are. Um, <laughs> uh, quite work colleagues. And, um, oh, I thought you meant with them. Sorry. Yeah, not with you, with Victor <laughs> Grace Jones. That's what I took from that. Like, I'm mates with them. Not you. Yes, I, that's what I, I meant. took from there that he knew I was sitting between two radiators right now. So I am incredibly warm, almost too warm. <laughs> I'm a sweaty man, but it's gorgeous. I'm also wearing polyester. And our second review of the week comes from Harvey SFC, who says, um, excellent. Thanks so much for creating this podcast. It's a great escape from reality. And as if you're having a discussion about films with friends. Again, it's that friend thing. Um, despite this, it also gives great insight and trivia. Five stars. <laughs> Woo! Brilliant. Woo! Thank you, what Harvey. Earth? Wow. That's lovely. Thank you, Harvey. That's, that's, that's very nice. So, yeah, it's a nice little section there, isn't it? I, I kind of feel it quite awkward to deal with, if I'm honest, Chris. Um, but, but that's just me. Uh, Victoria, how I'm did sure you... I'm sure go on there and call us wankers in the next week and then we'll <laughs> potentially read that out. So I'm sure that will level things off. <laughs> right. You see, that's, that's my worry about this whole section. I, I feel we've opened a can of worms here. Victoria, how do you feel about this new section? No, I'm not. I, I think it's lovely, and it, it's. I'm not being sarcastic. It's, it's feels. Uh, it's, I value it a lot because I want to feel more connected to more people at this time. So I really like it. I, but I only like the good stuff. I don't deal with criticism very well at all. Just say fine. Just say you don't like it. You don't need to be so sarcastic about it. Fine, we won't do it again. <laughs> Don't be like that. I really like it. But like I say, <laughs> nothing negative because I don't take notes, as I'm sure you are aware. Um, I take everything personally, so just be careful. You are like the Mary Whitehouse experience sketch, Ray, the man afflicted <laughs> with a sarcastic tone of voice. I really like that section. Know, oh, I... it's so great. I really want to be connected to people. That's why I'm such a surprise when I'm drunk. Because when I'm drunk, I'm like, have I told you I love you? And people are like, I thought you hated me. I'm like, no, you mean the world to me. But no, no, I'm very lonely as a result. Um, all right. Well, I'm, 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 I've turned around my opinion on this, Chris. Uh, the section is staying. It's a great section. Well done for introducing it to the show. Yeah. And it's in the future, it'll be a shorter section than this. <laughs> so part two of Flatliners versus Jacob's Ladder. On Monday, Chris was dead and loving it in Flatliners. And today, Victoria explains how that ladder in your tight really could be a stairway to heaven in Jacob's oh. Ladder. <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Uh, this was, this just... was the second script I got to, so uh, bear with. Uh, <laughs> Victoria, take us on a journey. Jacob Singer is a US postal worker, or is he? Back from Vietnam, possibly, with drug-induced PTSD, certainly looks that way. As his hallucinations and visions intensify, they definitely do, and he tries to get to the bottom of what happened to him in Nam, as well as coping with the death of his young son, Gabe, so cute. He's sent to the world's worst hospital, it absolutely is, before being rescued by his chiropractor, thematically linking back pain to holy angels. Then we finally realise everything has been part of Jacob's death throes back in Nam, or was it no really what the fuck so did are you playing both Gollum and Schmeagol <laughs> in that synopsis uh, yes I have range yeah I have range <laughs> uh, good I actually think good, I did yeah. quite a good job considering you did 
You did. It was not an easy synopsis to write. I felt for you. Um, interesting. I liked it. Thanks. Um, so your history with this film, let me just um, tell you mine. This is the first time I've seen it, um, but it's always had... What? I've always had... Yeah, I know. I know. I, I know. Surely this, this must have been on Mark's VHS shelf. I swear it was on Mark's VHS shelf. Yeah, I think you're this right, but we, we Mark, both... This, have... this is not a Mark it's... movie. This feels like one of the movies he'd have made you watch. He says it's a two-star film. So we, according to, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Okay. Um, but I've always had, and it's lazy of me not to have seen it before now because I've always been a bit fascinated by it because I've got a really clear memory of my being young and my mum and dad going to the cinema, which they didn't do all the time. They they weren't like massively into films. So they would go for like a big blockbuster and we went to see Jurassic Park around, you know, and they went to see um, Dances with Wolves and all the rest of it. But they went to see this, and so that's quite a big deal for them. And I know they hadn't seen Bull Durham, so I can only imagine they were massive Howard the Duck fans because they were like, we're going to go and see Tim Robbins do this. And I, when they got back from the cinema, I was I really wanted to know what they'd seen and what it was like, and they were they were just like, well, that was weird. Don't go see that. And they just absolutely hated it. And I can just see my mum like pursing her lips being like, oh, no, it was bloody weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... I see. Uh, I see your parents. Uh, I see your parents' uh, review of the film, uh, and I raise you, um, uh, Nettie's mum, who visited us on Saturday, uh, just gone to uh, to watch uh, this film. Um, I mean, we, we 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 had some food, but she also stayed for the movie. I was like, I've got this movie to watch, and and she was like, Oh, great! I never saw it, but I've I've heard things about it. Uh, we got about oh, I'd say half an hour in, and she said. Is it all right if we just fast forward it to the end and see what happens? Because I can't sit through this any longer. <laughs> that won't even help. That's the, that's the worst thing. I, I was like, I was like, I, I kind of because it's because it's work. I kind of have to watch the whole thing, so no. And uh, and she left. She left before the end. She didn't. She was like, cool. It's getting late. I might go home. <laughs> so so yeah. Couldn't you have found another time to watch it? Um, I honestly felt it was the kind of movie that, like, I, so my history with it, I'd seen it once before um, as, a, as, a, as a teenager in the sort of in the mid-90s, and I, 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 I couldn't for the life of me remember it. But I, I remember that it was one of these movies that my mum, basically, my mum got tired of me watching shit. Uh, like I, I was, I, I think it happened because I watched a movie called Metamorphosis: The Alien Factor as a double bill with an Italian Jaws ripoff called Devouring Waves, and she saw me watch them and she went, "I'm going to start renting movies that you need to see," which was great because I saw Shawshank because of her and uh, and Stand by Me, but I also saw this, and because she recommended it, I always thought it was this great film, uh, but um, it's uh, yeah, I couldn't remember any of it. So that's why I introduced it to Nettie's mum and indeed sort of was like, this will be great, uh, which was an interesting way of selling Jacob's Ladder. This will be great. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Yeah, I remember uh, renting the video. It got, I remember it got really good reviews when it came out in the UK. And so I was quite excited to see it, even though I was a bit scared because, as you know, I was a scaredy cat back then and watched it uh, when it came out video. Loved it, thought it was fantastic, but also thought I never want to watch this film again. Um, not because of the Flatliners reason, because I just was indifferent to Flatliners, but because it really scared me. I found it really frightening. So I haven't seen it since the mid-1990s. So again, it was interesting to to revisit. 
This, so this really... How old were you just uh, when you first saw it? About 15, I'd say. 15. Yeah. Okay. And you did you understand it at 15 or did it just scare you? No, understood it, yeah. Got oh, it. I mean, obviously, oh. I've, I feel like I understand a lot more of it now, but that's because we've been, you know, you do a proper deep dive when we're doing this show and, and properly researching all around it. I did find myself a couple of years ago wanting to find out more about it. I didn't rewatch it, but I found myself looking up some of the stuff that inspired it, which we'll get onto, I'm sure. All right, good. Okay, good. All right, well, let's yep. talk about the background a little bit. So uh, a lot of this is from the writer's website, which is uh, brucejoelrubin.com. And there was an article in the LA Times in October 1990, just before Jacob's Ladder came out. So there's quite a lot of information in that if anyone's interested, because at the time, Bruce Joel Rubin was a very big deal because of Ghost. There's, there's a lot on the internet about this film and about the uh, the text behind it and stuff like that. So if you're interested in that sort of thing, have a look. Um, but it was written in 1981, um, inspired by a mega LSD trip and uh, the profound experience that Bruce Joel Rubin had as a result of that, which Alex, you mentioned on the other episode, was like he thought he didn't exist for a week or something, which sounds terrifying. Yeah. Um, Just can you believe that? I heard him talking about it. It was, I think it was eight hours. He had some of this LSD that was meant for Timothy Leary, and he had a big lot of it, and he said he had, went on this journey for eight hours that then resulted in him doing this two-year journey around the world to try and understand, make sense of what had happened. Yeah. Uh, which I really, I mean, you've just got to respect that because mm. I do agree with you, Alex. If someone's like, I've not been to bed for two weeks, but hey, let me pitch you this idea. Sure. Uh, no. it's, it's also that thing of like people who talk to you about their drug experiences. It's like, oh my God, I, I don't care. I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't care enough about this. And it's so personal to you and also shut up. I remember being at uni and there was always that one kid and inevitably, like, it was, uh, in my experience of it, and I'm sure it's happened to others, a white guy with dreads sitting mm. there going, <laughs> oh, so let me, have you taken, have you taken this? And, like, you're like, well, no, I haven't. He's like, oh, great. Let me tell you about it. It's like this journey, man, and you just go on it and you sit there and you listen. And by the end of the conversation, I was like, I am going to go away and I'm going to take that drug just so I can turn around next time I meet him and go, shut up. It's not like that at all. And now I know. So fuck off. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because the only thing worse than listening to someone's drug experience is listening to someone's dreams. And so this dude's gone and done both. <laughs> but he's made it work. It's incredible. I was going to say, he didn't go off and tell people about his drug experience. He went away and wrote four different movies that got made about the afterlife. Yeah. So he made it work for him. He did Ghost, Jacob's Ladder, Brainstorm and Deadly Friend, all about the afterlife. So mm. that's the way to do it. Don't bore someone at a party. Go and write four scripts at yourself. Please, yeah. I feel like we should just sort of say, but also don't think that if you go out and take a shit ton of LSD, you're going to have four scripts about the afterlife immediately afterwards. That's not what we're saying. We're not made, it's not, we're not an advert for that. Is that. Have you got that's, writer's block? Try this what? LSD. Although on a more serious <laughs> note, have you, there's a lot um, about using LSD and MDMA, using MDMA in therapy, like couples therapy, and using LSD to help people overcome trauma because it helps you to visualise stuff that you might need to deal with, which is in this film. Um, so, you know, that's a real thing. Anyway, anyway There's a huge I digress. thing about microdosing, um, microdosing mushrooms now. Yeah. They, uh, like, uh, as, a, as a way of sort of self-medicating uh, through mushrooms yeah. to sort of keep... Um, 
keep yourself feeling good, a kind of well-being exercise. Like rather than sort of taking them to trip out, you just do a very small amount regularly and it keeps you feeling quite content. Yeah, and MDMA and couples therapy would 100% work. Like, I, I mean, you know, hey, I'm not in charge, but if I was, then I think that would be something that would be worth trialing between consenting adults. Because 100%, like, after about, you know, two hours, like, you're amazing. I love you. Let me touch your face. Brilliant. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. and then, but then they're still there when you're coming down and you're like, don't touch me. Don't touch me. <laughs> Just watch this Pixar movie that I've put on because it's bright. It's bright colours. Yeah. Okay, so as Chris has said, uh, Bruce Joel Rubin goes off trekking around the world, looking for stuff to help him understand his new perspective on life and death. He comes back to New York and he has a dream. And And he tells everyone about his dream. I had a dream where I get off the train and I end up trapped in a subway station with no exits. Um, So, yeah, which is in the film. Yawn! (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know it's bad, isn't it? So then he puts together the story. There's, I haven't read this, but Chris, it sounds like you might have done. There's a short story about Ambrose Bierce called mm. "An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge," which plays with this idea of mm. an amount of time, like the subjective passing of time. You know, the amount of time passing being longer for your protagonist than it is in the real world, and the, with the gaps, what can happen in those gaps? I haven't read it. Have you read it? Um, I don't think I've read it, but I, maybe I read it. I certainly watched the short film a few years ago that inspired a uh, 962 short film occurrence, uh, occurrence at Owl Creek. And yeah, that's, you know, it's the same plot, basically. It's a soldier. I think it's Civil War soldier and he's being hanged. But before he's hanged, he he sort of escapes and goes home and he's reunited with his family. And it's a short film, happy moment. And then you realise that was all in his brain in the blink of an eye that happened mm. as his neck snapped. So that's the ending. Yeah. That he, it was what he saw as he died. And also the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which again I have not read, uh, but that's um, a funerary text recited to ease the consciousness of a recently deceased person through death and assist it into a favourable rebirth. So, um, yes, Bruce Joel Rubin has read this and put some influences into Jacob's Ladder. So then you've got a script which everybody loves. Um, Bruce Joel Rubin says, everybody told my agent, we love it. What a great story, but no thanks. And so it knocked around for quite a long time. Um, it was on lists of like, you know, best unproduced screenplays. Uh, Michael Apted, Cindy Lumet, Ridley Scott all wanted to make it, but it was too metaphysical and no one could um, take it on. So he's in, <laughs> ironically, development hell for 10 years mm-hmm. or however long. Um, but then just, um, the 90- just very quickly, on. one of those one of those lists that it made it onto. I think the big one that really, uh, really sort of like sparked um, a lot more interest in it was um, uh, it was uh, one in a million, the ten best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. Uh, on the same list as Jacob's Ladder uh, was The Princess Bride, Total mm. Recall, uh, and a movie that I haven't seen at close range. Chris, at close mm. range, yeah, good. I don't good know movie. that one. Okay, no. uh, but they, 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 the guy, uh, this guy called um, uh, Stephen Rebello uh, said of the script that um, uh, page for page it is one of the very few screenplays that I've read with the power to consistently raise hackles in broad daylight, which I, can, I think is a good description mm. of reading the script for this film. Yeah. Um, but then, so 1988, there's a Writers Guild strike, which means director Adrian Lyne, our friend, gets hold of the script. He loves it. And then he turned down Bonfire of the Vanities, which I can't remember. Chris, did you want to do Bonfire of the Vanities on the podcast? Or was it? When in our previous iteration uh, of this podcast, uh, yeah. we were going to do Bonfire of the Vanities on a Tom Hanks episode. 
Oh, well, you yeah. do. We don't. We don't speak of the previous iteration. Now people are going to want to know what the previous bloody iteration is. I've still got it. I'm going to put it out one day. <laughs> I've, still, I've, still, I've still got it too. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, we've got Adrian Lyon. So we've got La- Adrian Lyon, Bruce Joel Rubin. Um, there's an an interview with Adrian Lyon saying that, um, which I love this because I have read the original script and I can see this stuff about raising hackles in broad daylight. But I do like it when someone says to a writer, <laughs> um, but you do realise like this is unfilmable kind of thing. So they fell out quite a lot about how to visualise demons and um, Bruce Joel Rubin wanted them to be like Hieronymus Bosch type demons, like with dorsal fins and protrusions and all the rest of it. So they were looking at the script. Line com- Adrian Line comes to a line which reads, <clears throat> quote, the wall shatters and we see a vision of the abyss. <laughs> and he says to Bruce Joel Rubin, okay, Bruce, how many carpenters do I need to build the abyss? <laughs> which I think <laughs> is brilliant. Like, it's just good. I mean, I think they did fall out, but the end result works and was worth it. So it's a, yeah, it's a good collaboration. Um, so that's kind of it. I will just end with a quote for me. I think Brunch Joel Rubin sounds like an amazing person. Um, so he said, when Ghost and Jacob's Ladder came out, I did so many interviews and everyone would always ask me the same thing. Why do you keep writing movies about death? And I responded, because it's only through embracing death that you get to know life. When you understand that death can come at any moment, then you see life for what it really is. Totally, remarkably, unendingly precious. What a statement. What just what a guy. And I I mean, I understand that so much. And I just, yeah, I, I just I feel like a kindred spirit. That's nice. <laughs> you all right? Can you not deal with that? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, is just, that a bit much? Was, no, quite the opposite. I was just sort of basking in your words. I was taking a bath in your dialogue, if that's... Uh, <laughs> Not too weird an image. I, I'm bathing myself with your sentences. Like the last <laughs> sentence you said is a loofah, and I'm scrubbing my back with it. <laughs> I, and I enjoy that. But I agree with you, Vicky. I've sort of found a bit of a rabbit hole watching interviews with Bruce Joel Rubin this week, and he's a really interesting, lovely bloke. Um, yeah. I was going to bring it up because one of my favourites was, I was going to say for when we do, I'm sure we will get around to doing Ghost, but it's Clive Barker interviewing him and Jerry Zucker about Ghost and having a bit of a go, actually. It's a really interesting um, about their sort of sanitised version of, of the afterlife in Ghost, sort of almost having a moan about how it's so Hollywood. And Bruce Joel Rubin sort of answers him and he t- takes, his, takes the question very seriously. If I was him, I, was just, I would have just said, well, watch Jacob's Ladder. That's the other version. You know, <laughs> yeah. we're showing, he- you know, heaven, sanitized heaven in Ghost. Watch Jacob's Ladder if you want to see the other version of it, because I have written it and it's out there. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I, I guess uh, the only other thing to mention is just like Adrian Lyne. Uh, I know uh, he's sort of, he's such a good director and he's, he made a, a name for himself making like successful. He, like, I know Jacob's Ladder wasn't the biggest hit, but like it went on to have a cult following, but he made successful films that had adult content, like and often very adult scenes. And you sort of think about how some of these movies, some of his movies, were like some of the biggest movies of the year. And what has happened now? It's just like it's so depressing when you sort of look at this time period and movies like, uh, if not this, like Fatal Attraction or even Indecent Proposal, for God's sake. And now Hollywood seems like so sanitized uh, to the to the point of like it's almost like puritanical how little adult content but is we, in its films. We, we've talked about that though, Alex, and it, I think the adult content's moved to moved to television and moved to streaming, where 
filmmakers who wanted to tell adult stories and sexual stories and grown-up stories felt like they preferred to tell them over sort of 10, 12 hours rather than a, in a 90-minute, two-hour movie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think, in, you know, in the same breath as that, that's possibly why, you know, TV is going to take over from cinema and people aren't going to be going to the cinema anymore, you know, unless it is for these event movies, these must-see, you know, massive franchise films, which I think is a shame because, you know, just because you're watching something at home and it's it's more grown-up content, it doesn't replicate the idea of actually sitting in the dark of a cinema and watching, you know, something like, for example, Jacob's Ladder. Adrian Lyne has just made his first film in 20 years. It's called Deep Water. Uh, yes. It stars Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas. And um, mm. it's about a well-to-do husband who allows his wife to have affairs in order to avoid a divorce. And he becomes a prime suspect in the disappearance of her lovers. So he's back mm-hmm. to doing the grown-up sex thriller. Which is great. I, I really hope it's good because it, well, it was unfaithful for it was his last one, wasn't it? So, yeah, I, I yeah. I'm excited, but again, it's going to come out on a streaming platform, isn't it? It's not going to hit the cinemas. And if it does, it'll be on a streaming platform at the same time. And Anyway, I don't want to get into that conversation. Okay, should we talk about Jacob's Ladder instead? Probably a good idea, yeah. Okay, sure. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through the bigger moments because this is a first-time watch for me, and then when I had a bit of time to think about it, maybe this is obvious to you, but obviously the whole time you're like oh my god what's going on what's going on but the whole thing is explicitly stated at various points and the magic of the film is that you register that but you don't take it in too deeply to go oh okay so he's dead or is this or whatever and you just move along on this journey and i think that's incredible considering so uh we established that um jacob has been in norm and you can't really relax there because one minute you're smoking a reefer and then you're under attack and then your face is melting off and i don't know what that has to do with jacob's ladder the drug as we'll get to it but maybe you could help me out with that later but it's a minor point so let's just put that to one side unless anyone wants to talk about the setup in vietnam no no okay war is hell war is hell so we're in new york jacob is seeing demons on the subway and living with his girlfriend who's called jezebel i hate that that is so on the nose i can't deal with it um and she's got her boobs out quite a lot. So did you have her pegged as a demon the first time you saw this or not? Because in the original script, as you'll know if you've... which Did you say you'd read it? I can't remember. Anyway, she is very much a demon, right? But later on, we are told that if angels are trying to help you shed your life, in this scene, she says, oh, your kid has dropped off these photographs and they're of Jacob's old life. And she then throws the photo. She burns them, doesn't she? She burns the photographs. So you're, the audience, you're like, oh, she's hard to like. She's a bit of a pain. Um, but is she actually doing him a favor? Is she actually being helpful? In the original script, no, she's a demon, like straight up. But in this version, isn't she helping him move on in some way because she's cutting those ties? No, she's try- I think she's trying to keep him in purgatory with her rather than embracing his, his family and going into the light. Ah, uh, okay. That makes it Because she does say to him, literally, you sold your soul. He says, how did I end up with someone called Jezebel? Which is a fair question. Um, and she's like, yeah, you sold your soul. So there, you, you're given a massive clue. Like, you're, you're not where you should be. There's a deleted scene, though, um, which I'm sure we'll get onto at the end, where she transforms into him. Uh, she becomes Jacob himself, and he's looking back at himself. And in many ways, she's a creation like of him. Like, he's created her to something, something, something. 
That's a, a lot. A lot of the notes I have start off like that. So well, he's, he's created, done that he's created because... everyone, hasn't he? He's created everyone because this is all in his head. Yeah, yeah. I don't. It's. I don't know if she is. A... Yeah, I'm sort of with Vicky. Like she does. I thought she was kind of good. Isn't she good? Oh no, because she's go. No, never mind. <laughs> yeah, this is this is how a lot of it's going to go from my end because then she okay. she doesn't want him to go see the chemist either, does she? And the chemist is actually a good person when he goes yeah. to see the chemist. She's like, don't go see the chemist. Yeah, she's a demon. Got it. Fine. Yeah, Thank demon. you. All right. Yep. Oh, I mean, the, the point about her be, having her boobs out. I'm not just being snarky about that. Is that she's meant to? She's called Jezebel. She's meant to represent temptation, and she's very mm. easy with her body and and all of that. Which is, that works. That's fine. Um, let's talk about a, a person that's definitely good which is uh, Danny Aiello as, as Louis the chiropractor. I think he is phenomenal in this film. The chiropractor thing I didn't quite get because I've never had back pain, so I suppose that's my privilege to not understand how blessed a chiropractor can be. But thematically, I didn't get why he was a chiropractor because doesn't he just need that character to stand by a lamp and look like an angel and maybe a dentist is too weird or too upsetting? Because why is he a chiropractor? I think I actually have something for this that is better than what I had for Jezebel. Okay, go. Um, This is to do with the fact that uh, he's dealing with Jacob's spine and Jacob has terrible back pain. And the spine is like the ladder itself because of the vertebrae of your Mm. spine. It's kind of like Jacob's ladder. And the pineal gland in the brain, which is at the very top of the spine, actually, um, when you die is stimulated and releases a lot of a chemical very similar to DMT, which I mentioned on Monday's episode. So he's when he um, when he snaps him and Jacob flashes to Nam, which is the real, mm. it's because he's basically kind of trying to stimulate the pineal gland to move Jacob on through the chiropractor. Um, oh, I love through, that. Through, That's through so what he's good. Doing. Yeah. That's so good. Because as well, sorry, just to talk about my own personal interest, in Flatliners... Kevin Baker's like, oh, you guys, you're just seeing what you want to see. And Julia Roberts says, no, these these experiences, these near-death experiences, cut across cultures and countries and languages and why are they all so similar? And he says, oh, it's hormones. And she's like, no, you're just reaching. It's like, well, why is he reaching? Like, you know, why is that such a reach? I didn't know that there was a hormone that was stimulated from a gland when you were in that state. I thought you, I thought there was no activity, which is why these experiences are so... Uh, noteworthy because there's nothing going on in your brain but if you do have something going on that would that would explain it it's like your brain just taking care of you just making sure you don't feel stressed in your final moments isn't that amazing yeah absolutely and i I guess i should clarify that there are some people that suggest it is uh dmt but there's no evidence to clarify that it is actually dmt or something that chemically is the same as dmt that is released in the pineal gland when you die but it there is something that um, it sort of, like you say, diffuses um, the the feeling of impending doom and terror that you would naturally feel. It's kind of it turns it into a more karmic experience, which is why people are researching near death experiences. So people at the end of life who are otherwise excuse like the phrase, but fit and well, so they're not on a huge amount of drugs, they're not in a vegetative state, they're talking, but they have a life-limiting condition that is coming to its end. They commonly have visions of their family telling them everything's going to be all right and waking visions, not dreams. So they're just sat there at the end of their bed in the hospice or whatever saying, 
don't worry about this. This is going to be good, blah, blah, blah. And so there's another, there's the same, like a parallel school of thought, which is like your brain is just releasing something to to, to make your passage over calm. And I just think that's incredible. I think I think it's just incredible that it, that your brain would do that for you, which is a weird sentence in itself, but I do find it fascinating. Yeah, um, it's uh, what I've got here is this is from Imperial College in 2018. Um, a researcher there was uh, doing research into near-death experiences, and they said that taking DMT or ayahuasca is like a simulated near-death experience. Um, they have theorized that DMT might just be um, a drug model for the limbo state between life and death. Uh, but he does add that it is not a portal to the afterlife. Um, <laughs> so that's very important to note. And not a portal to the afterlife, but does simulate the limbo state between life and death, which is what happens you Sorry, know, I'm just getting have... a message in from our sponsors, DMT. They want you to say it is a portal to the afterlife. Is that all right? So can we go again? Guys, yeah, let's go again. Alex has undersold the product. <laughs> Halfway through that, I did go, yeah, this read better on the page than it does being said out loud by you, a responsible adult. Uh, hey, kids, don't do drugs. Uh, they're really bad. Uh, I, you know. I was about to do, now. I was about to do the Bill Nighy line from fucking Love Actually. Oh God, um, yeah. Just but yeah. Um, I, 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 uh, yeah. Good. Okay, so excellent. Okay, um, at this point in the film, another massive tell as to what's going on. Uh, Jacob says, "You look, you look like an angel, Louis, like an overgrown cherub." Did anyone ever tell you that? And he says, "Yeah, you. Every time I see you." So there it is. The film is telling you what's going on, but for some magic reason, you just go with it. You're not like, "Okay, I can stop watching." It's not. You could say to Nettie's mum at that point, "You can stop watching now because Louis <laughs> is an angel." So this film is done, but you're still invested. So we get to the house party, which, as you mentioned in your introduction, Jacob is literally told he's dead <laughs> by a palm reader. Mm-hmm. And you don't go, OK, film over. You just don't. Uh, you just go, oh, that's interesting. Um, and then he has these awful visions once he know, well, once he's been told he's dead, which one of them, oh, my God, is someone releases a bird at a house party, which I would, I would throw myself on the floor and start screaming my head off if someone did that at a house party. That's my worst nightmare. Uh-huh. Um, and it all turns a bit hell like. It all turns a bit like one of Alex's house parties, I thought. I thought so too. Why are you so like like this house party? You've been at a house party like that. I didn't see anyone having sex with a snake, but maybe I was in the wrong room. That was upstairs. That was upstairs. Was the uh, the the guy dressed as the demon having sex with uh, someone? Yeah, no. The the, the demon. The demon was dressed as Vivian from Pretty Woman at your last party. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who was? Um, no, listen, just before we carry on talking about this party, you, you've skipped over a scene that I have to ask. The bit where um, the bit where he starts looking through the old photographs um, and like he's all fine. And then you see him holding a photograph and, and, and Jacob starts breaking down and then uh, he's crying. And you're like, oh, my God, what's this? And then it, it cuts immediately to the photograph being of Macaulay Culkin 
Could yeah. you did did you not burst out laughing? I couldn't help bit. it. I just <laughs> didn't bit. expect it to be I, I couldn't remember it being Macaulay Culkin and he's like oh, 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 oh god and it's like it's Macaulay Culkin Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, oh, I I'm wow. with you, Alex. I completely forgotten he was in this film and it yeah. when just, when when Kevin McAllister pops up, you can't take it seriously. I laughed. I was the same as you. It's like, oh, this poor man. Oh, my God, that's Macaulay Culkin. <laughs> <laughs> the problem is, so this film, in America, this film came out the same month as Home Alone. Uh, can you imagine if you'd gone, oh, shall we go see that Home Alone? And and then maybe next week we'll go see Jacob's Ladder. And so you see Home Alone the week before you see Jacob's Ladder. And you're like, fuck me, that Jacob guy loves Home Alone because he is broken <laughs> up. <laughs> Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. Ready to get 30 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20 20, 20 ready to get 20 20, ready to get 15 15, 15 15, just 15 bucks a month. So, give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Stakhanov's brand new show, My Seven Wonders, with Clive Anderson, is available to listen to now. Clive will be quizzing some of the world's most interesting celebrities, including Griff Rhys-Jones and Shappy Sandy, about their own personal Seven Wonders of the World. Join Clive and his first guest, Dara O'Brien. Dara talks to Clive about his love for the Irish sport hurling and some of the extra benefits that come with owning a hurley stick. It's just pleasant to have a big stick in the house every so often. For home security, it's always nice to know that I have an arsenal uh, if I need it. I'll bear that in mind if I'm tempted to burgle your house in the middle of the night. Just do it. Honestly, that's how I stand. I stand naked with my Irish testicles dangling, <laughs> challenging people. They discuss finding humour in quantum physics. It's like saying, is the cat dead or not? Would you, somebody just open the box? Would somebody just open the box? <laughs> and discovering new passions during lockdown. 
lockdown ran a schism essentially between the young comics who immediately went I must learn new skills I must learn video editing and TikTok and I must find new ways to bring my comedy to people and the older comics who went yeah retirement it'd be alright actually <laughs> in the guy <laughs> turns out you know it's, okay. it's not too bad search My 7 Wonders with Clive Anderson on your favourite podcast player to hear the first episode now My Seven Wonders with Clive Anderson is a Stakhanov production. So, Jacob collapses, and this is, I mean, as a first-time viewer, it's difficult to watch this scene because Jesse is giving him shit about that. She's like, you are so embarrassing, which I think is really harsh when you're you're trying to maybe plaster on a narrative that shouldn't be there, which is like a relationship drama. She's like, God, how dare you embarrass me by collapsing at a party? But then he's running a fever. She saves his life and she by dunking him in an ice bath. And then we go back to his old life and where we frame Jezebel and that life as a dream. And again, having spoken about, you know, how boring these things can be, he's like, oh, that was a dream. And you're not like, oh, fuck off. Like, and literally just turn this film off. You want to see what his old life was like. It's it, like Tim Robbins does an amazing job of of drawing you in so much. That you're not like, I can't cope with it was all the dream. Um, his kids are okay. He's got three kids in the original script. There is no dead son. He's just got two kids. Um, he's with Sarah, but the eyes it's quite, is what links it's him. quite clear, isn't it? In that sequence, did you get the feeling that he really, really loves Macaulay Culkin more than his <laughs> other kids? Like, because yeah. like he's like, I'm gonna read, gonna sing you this song, gonna give you a hug, and they're like, Hey, love you, Dad. He's like, Shut the fuck up. I'm talking, to, <laughs> I'm talking to the one I like. I did think that. And because he's so cute and, you know, he's little, he's, the, he's the little one as well. So that kind of helps. But I think the what the scene tries to do is say his other kids are just a bit more grown up. So then even though they're all little, because one of them gives him like hassles him about pocket money. <laughs> um, mm. So I think what they're saying is Gabe is just the little one still. He's still his little baby. And the other two are at a different point in their childhood. And he's sort of... Uh, he can still treat Gabe like a baby a little bit, which is a you know a nice thing to be able to. I'm do. telling but, you right now that doesn't work because you do not the little, the littlest kid does not get the single bed in a room. You get one of the bunk beds. You do <laughs> you so do true. not get your own bed. And if if that's the case, his brothers hate him because they're like you're the yeah. youngest, but you're my favourite, so you get your own bed. Get on the bunk beds, you brats. Yeah, well, he's that's rich. True. He's just been in Home Alone, so they that's why he gets the bed <laughs> on his own. But but you're talking about that scene like it's. A dream, but I feel like once you know the ending of the film, that is a memory. That is, yeah. that is reality, isn't it? And the 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 actual the dream, the nightmare is Jezebel um, yeah. that she wants to drag him back to. I think if he'd stayed in bed in that family scene, that was all part of him, the ending of the film of him going to heaven. But but Jezebel manages to pull him back by by putting him in the bath and bringing him back to her. Putting nightmare. him in the bath, and then the window is open in the bedroom, and so those two things like smash together. And then he's back. And mm. what we will later understand is probably purgatory because Jesse's brought him back there. Mm. So then at this point... Um, is he? Jacob's... Sorry, I've got a question. Question. I've got my hand go, up. Go, go. i got my go. hand up. Question. So, but it, it, before he went to Vietnam, where he dies, like he had, he had left his family. So the, Jezebel is also yeah. a memory, isn't it? Like, you know, when you say... Him in the bed with his wife and saying goodnight to Macaulay Culkin. That is that's a memory. But also yeah. you've got to assume after Macaulay Culkin dies, he yeah. leaves he does actually leave his wife in the real world and 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 he 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 hooks up with Jezebel in the real world. She's not 
She's I don't not know if he, a, a I don't figment. know if he does I don't know if he does hook up with Jezebel in the real world. No. I don't feel like oh. he did. I feel like the time frame although I'm projecting Gabe dies and then Tim Robbins almost immediately doesn't avoid the draft and goes to Vietnam to like deal with the pain of it. Right. Oh actually no that doesn't work. There's a weird point later oh no it does work. Gabe, he reads a letter that Gabe wrote him and it's super cute and it's like he like got a frog and um he says come please come home and so Jacob was somewhere else for a while. Because Gabe was alive. But, oh no! Wait, that doesn't Je- work. Jezebel what? was a fantasy figure for him, though. Was someone from work that she he, he obviously had had a dream about because he told his wife about it. But I don't know yeah. if he necessarily got together with her. But she was certainly a fantasy figure in his mind that he then is in this purgatory that he's constructed. Yes, that's what that was my reading so, of it too. Oh, that makes sense. So he's dealing with the guilt then in this purgatory of of perhaps maybe. Maybe he cheated on his wife or maybe he just had fantasies of cheating on his wife and leaving his kids with this Jezebel. And that's what he's having to deal with in no, his you, purgatory. I think you're putting too much in. He just had a dream about someone he works with, just a, a dream. And so that's a memory for him because he then says to his wife, oh, I've just had this dirty dream. And then she's like, I'm cool with it, whatever. And so it's a nice memory, weirdly. Yeah, no, sorry. I'm talking about the bit where the bits where he's with Jezebel, though, that in purgatory, that the reason mm. she is there is because he's clearly he had feelings for her, or he did something with her. Why? What? He wouldn't just. I don't think he'd just pick a coworker who he had yeah. one sort of one filthy thought about to be yeah. something he has to overcome in purgatory before he can get to heaven. There must have been yeah. some story there. Something else, yeah. That makes it's up sense to you. Well. It's, it's up to you what she represents to him, but she's some she's someone that he has constructed in that purgatory. For whatever reason, yeah, I don't like things that go. It's up to you. I, th- I think films should know what <laughs> that sounds like. That sounds like films that don't really know, and then go, "Oh, we just let, let you decide." You're like, "No, you need to know. You need to be able to tell me." If I sat down with you as the filmmaker and went, "So, what is that about?" If you don't have an answer, then you're not very good. <laughs> Do you not Fairly feel like no. that? I mean, I, no, but sometimes I don't mind it if you want to leave it ambiguous in the film. Yeah. But if you were if you were forced to answer a question about it, you have to know the answer yourself as the as the writer or the director, especially the writer. Yes, you do. Um yeah. You don't have to do. put it I'm... on screen, but you do need to be able to answer it. And I'm I'm yeah. absolutely sure okay. he does. Yeah. He okay, does what? So... No. Answer <laughs> the question. <laughs> <laughs> No, moving on. So um, after one of Jacob's buddies dies because the car blows up, which is also what's happened to his doctor, he becomes convinced at this point, or maybe he's always been convinced, but this is the part of the story where he's sure that him and his troop back in Nam were used as guinea pigs for an experimental drug. And then he hires George Costanza to sue the US Army. Um, But his buddies drop out. So it's looking quite good and they've got a case and whatever and then everyone just drops out. So then we've got Eric LaSalle. Now, there's a scene where he rings him and he's like, I'm not going to do it, Jacob. And we can see in the room that someone is like leaning on him. No? Not literally. What, what, this is this is the, his mates. Uh, yeah. The, the, the people who... So, I, yeah. Um, what, what's going on here? Why, why do they drop out of the case? And also, I'm sure 99% of the scenes that you see with Jacob in his purgatory and his memories are all, he's in all of them. They're all from his perspective. The moment with his ex, uh, like military platoon, when they're all together in the room and he hangs up the phone, 
is an image that Jacob sees and he he wouldn't be able to see because like he's yeah, not there. That's a good so point. I, yeah. I, I think it's the only time that happens and I, I'm really puzzled about that. It isn't the yeah. only time that happens. Um, he, he's not in the room when Jezebel burns his photos as well. Oh, that's um, true. But that's I think true. that's something in his head of his fear of what this woman who, whatever she represents and what she's doing. Yeah. I thought... In my, with a bit of distance from it, it was Louis that would be the, the unseen person in the room because Louis is like, because Jacob gets told to drop it all the time. You know, when he gets beaten up, just just leave this alone because you need to leave everything behind you in order to ascend. So I thought maybe Louis was in the room as an angel saying to his buddies, don't take it any further kind of thing. But I've no idea if that actually, you know, who knows. Because there's that weird line that Jason Alexander says where you were, you were discharged from the army after some uh, war games in Thailand went yeah. wrong, which is sort of like, what's, it's such a curveball, that sentence. Yeah. Well, the isn't whole that, film isn't could that go on such a different army, track then. Isn't that how the army would have explained it away, though? But how would he know that? Because he's still, he's still on, like, on the slab in Vietnam. Like I don't True. like he he's not even a yeah isn't a lot of this I don't though know his how hopes he... and f- it's a lot of this is his hopes and fears about what's happening to him and what's happened to him as well yeah and bear in mind in Nam which isn't it doesn't quite fit but before everything goes to shit after they've smoked the drugs their faces start melting off. Like, they are dying anyway, irrespective of what Michael says they did to each other later, which is turn on each other. Something very bad has happened. So maybe we've got this subplot that... Well, not subplot, a sub-theme, that Jacob is a clever guy and he's a professor and he turned his back on his academic life and all the rest of it. He's a doctor and da-da-da. He sees people's faces melting off and he's like, oh, that's not good. And then he puts it together in his head and then he gets attacked and then he dies. And so maybe he's thinking about that when he's on the deathbed kind of thing. Hmm. I mean, they don't. Do they smoke the drug in Vietnam, or is it? Is it? Yeah. Are they gassed? I thought it's they were put, gassed. It's put in their food. The oh, oh, it's yeah. put in their food. Yeah, it's explained. Uh, it's put some, in their food. Yeah. Did you watch this film, Al? <laughs> you sure you watched it? All? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. You didn't leave with Nettie's mum, did you? <laughs> no, 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 no. I'll, I'll just be sort of. I'll be quieter in the second half. But go on. <laughs> okay. So. um Eventually, Jacob gets beaten up, robbed by Santa Claus, and ends up in a very, very bad hospital. And I love this section because, uh, to me, it felt like a quite a slow drip of information. I mean, re- relatively speaking, quite a slow drip of information. So when he first gets to the hospital, you think, okay, this is all right, he's in hospital. But it's the attitude of the doctors, they're ignoring him. But then he has just said he's been uh, robbed by Father Christmas. So fair enough, they're ignoring him. Um, but then he's wheeled through a corridor and the corridor is not a hospital corridor. There's rubbish everywhere. Then there's blood everywhere. Then there's body parts everywhere. And then we're just in an absolute nightmare in some sort of awful operating theater asylum. And we see the shaky head, which is terrifying. Vibro man. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really, really scary. This is, so this is this what is I remembered done. from Jacob's ladder was, was, was this scene really. This yeah. is the one that gave me nightmares at the time and that has stayed with me, if, if anything, with this film. It's Because I'd never seen it, and it, it, it's so, so, so scary. And it's still scary now, mm, like however wow. many years later. It's terrifying, but it's fun terrifying. It's uh, I like the setting. I like that sort of... Um, 
I like that vision. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, that sort yeah, of. It's so cool. There's um, it's I I I ended up looking at um a guy's work. There's a, a very famous photographer called Joel Peter Whitkin. Oh my god, I looked at that. <laughs> okay, so that's who the uh, the 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 man with the the shaking head uh, uh with no legs. I think that's this scene. Um, and the bag over his head. It's based on a piece of work by Joel Peter Whitkin, and his photographs inspired, I think, a lot of uh, Adrian yeah. Lyons' um, ideas for what he wanted to do with the demons and and the the, the scary stuff in this film. But that shaky um, that shaky head thing, like that that being an in camera technique where they just film it um, slower and they they record it slower and then film uh, play it back at real time, is such an incredible. Like ingenious yeah. technique, and it's so scary, and I it yep. clearly inspired a lot of films after this. Yeah, the picture I saw, uh, Joel Peter Wickens photo is called "Mother and Child" brackets with retractor screaming close brackets, and it's just one of the scariest <laughs> things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, and Francis Bacon paintings, you can see the the inspiration there as well. But it's it's incredible, really incredible. But then again, he's in the hospital and these demons, these think these eyeless creatures, they lay it out to Jacob. They say, you're dead. You were killed. Do you not remember? Mm. And again, as the audience, you're like, OK, but I still want to see what happens next, even though I've just been told everything. And the first thing he sees when he's going down that corridor is a mangled child's bike. Yeah. Oh, it's oh, so sad. So sad. So this and is did where, you, for me... Did you see that? Go on. No, no, it's all right. Go on. Just a bit where the... the it's um yeah it's the idea of um Jacob needing to use his third eye to sort of see beyond what he's actually seeing and realize that he has to climb the ladder which is why because the third eye in um in mysticism is located in the middle of the forehead and that's yes. why the doctor stabs him with the syringe right oh. between the forehead now i guess it could be read either way like if that's a bad doctor he's like trying to blind Jacob's third eye to stop him seeing uh, a way out of purgatory mm. or if he's a good doctor he's trying to like open it for him i don't know which yeah and this section of the film again first time viewing is where it started to become clear to me i could relax a bit so i was like i know i now know what i think is happening and i can enjoy the ride even more because i, I think i know where this is going because of the way that louis rescues him because chiropractors don't talk like that so he <laughs> swaggers his way into this hospital and he's like, what are you doing this and, is the danny aiello we're used to this is yeah. this is more like this is a regular danny aiello performance here where he's like let me fucking sort this shit out yeah, exactly. And so I was like, oh, you obviously are a, a guardian angel or an angel, an avenging angel or something, but you are here for this guy beyond being his chiropractor. So I started to uh, to sort of get excited about how we were going to get to that point. And he gives Jacob a big speech, which again, lays it all out, which is the only thing that burns in hell is the part of you that won't let go of life and, and sort of says, you know, if you've made your peace and these devils are angels freeing you from the earth, it's just a matter of how you look at it. So don't worry, which is beautiful. Um, but the, I, I feel like now we're going to watch Jacob free himself from the eternal trappings and the earthly trappings of his memories and see where he ends up kind of thing. At this point, though, we meet Michael, a chemist, who tells him the truth. This is really different in the original script. Um, so in this version, my, uh, Michael tells him that Jacob's ladder was a drug, a trip straight down the ladder to your primal aggression. So we don't go up the ladder, we go down the ladder. Um, and his troop in Norm tore each other 
apart. I like I like Michael. I think he's a great actor. I like I like everything he's saying to Jacob. But I didn't really care about what happened to the troop because I feel like I've figured out this film now because of what Danny Aiello has just said. I'm like, oh, I don't care. I don't care how you died because I think you're dead. And now I just want to know what's going to happen next. Did you feel like that? I certainly think it was a bad idea um, giving them a drug. There seemed to be absolutely no logic in why they gave those men that drug because they went, we gave it to monkeys. They tore each other apart. It was horrific. (laughs) We gave it to the Viet Cong POWs. They turned on each other in seconds and tore each other apart. So we thought, well, you know, third time lucky. (laughs) Let's give it to the American (laughs) troops and hope they use that anger on the Viet Cong and not, nope, they're they're killing each other. They're killing each other, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that was a bad idea. Yeah, exactly. And I think it does Um, need to be explained in that they did show a Vietnamese man killing him at the start of the film. Like you do see that, and so I felt like I did need to know that and see that it wasn't it was an American that did it to him. Yeah. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's that's good. I didn't notice that. I thought you never saw who was stabbing him until the end, and it was an American. Ah. So in the original script, Michael gives Jacob the antidote to make the ladder go up to take him closer to heaven. So he gives him a drug to go up. He goes home in this in the original script. Jesse's there. She's unmasked as a real demon. He fights her. He's horribly burned. And then Michael appears and peels off all of Jacob's burned skin. And Jacob is then made of light. And he's won the fight to go to heaven. And he's carried to heaven by streams of angels. Direct quote from the script, which is lovely. Again, hard to film, but, but lovely. Um, but in this version, he goes home after seeing Michael and he realizes what he has to do and Gabe appears to help him ascend and together they go up to they go up the stairs or up the ladder uh, to heaven you assume and then we cut back to Norm we realize that Jacob's dead and he's been fighting the whole time because he didn't want to die but it feels like it's a happy ending because he's with Gabe so he's reunited I mean for me let's just get on to this now I I prefer a version where he's carried to heaven by streams of angels, including Michael, if Michael is kind of an angel, because Gabe, to me, represents such a strong tie to the earth. That's his son, and also it's his deceased son, so it would be like a a super betrayal to, like in quote marks, forget about him. It doesn't make sense to me that it's Gabe that takes him to heaven, because if you've got to leave earth, everything you remember behind, Gabe is like the, the, the most prime example of that. So he would have to forget about Gabe in order to go to heaven. But surely it's, I see, I read it as, um, I read it as the fact that, you know, Gabe is already obviously in heaven because he's dead. So he's climbed the ladder. And I like the fact it's kind of literally represented as stairs. It's like Jacob's stairs would have been an alternate title because Gabe's sitting at the bottom of the stairs and he walks him up the stairs to heaven. So it's almost like he's just come out of heaven, gone, I'll I'll go pick him up because he's my dad and he'll definitely, (laughs) he'll definitely feel better if it's me. And so he's come down the stairs because also the idea that he's if Gabe is sort of in his purgatory and there's no there's no certainty that he's going to see him in heaven. If we don't have him there at the end, then that's kind of sad. Like because he's yeah, sort of it letting... is sad, but that's t- if you if you're on this message, which I think the writer very much is like, you have to leave it all behind. You have to because then you join the the group consciousness or collective spirit, or if you believe in that or whatever is out there. But you can't do it when you're being individualistic and you're thinking of your children and especially a deceased child is super individualistic. Really, it's not selfish, but it's just 
it's your ultimate tie to this earth. It just is. So you have to have the strength and the courage to let everything go, and then you will ascend. I, think. I, I do wonder if Adrian uh, Lynn had a conversation with Bruce Joel Rubin on the set of this and said to him, you know that other film you've done that's coming out this year, Ghost? Yeah, what, what happens at the end? Oh, well, angels take the spirit back to the heaven at the end and it's all beautiful. Yeah, well, we can't have that in this film. You've written the same ending twice. And I wonder if that's <laughs> why he's gone down this route because that sounds very similar to Ghost, what you described. <clears throat> Yeah, that's fair enough. And interestingly, yeah. you, um, uh, what you said about that script, um, Vicky, I don't know if you watched the deleted scenes, but they shot a lot of what you just said. Um, yeah. Right. Michael, Michael takes um, him uh, back to his apartment. He says he has the cure. He drips some on his tongue. Um, Tim Robbins goes to sleep, wakes up having a panic attack. The room starts splitting. There's blood on him, slimy creatures bearing down on him. And then it's revealed it's nothing. He's just lying there serenely and the demons have gone and he tells him he's going to be fine. I mean, he isn't because the next deleted scene, the demons are still there and he has to go home and discover that Jesse's a demon and, and she takes off her face and it's his face and it's his death mask is the idea. But they shot all yeah. that. If that was all in the script, they did shoot all that. It was just 15 minutes that, that, that they didn't feel were necessary at the end of the movie. Well, it was. The, I think it was that Adrian Lyons said. Um, I listened to his commentary, and he said that the reason that they're not in there is that the very early test screenings they did of the film, um, audiences were just battered by the <laughs> end. The last twenty minutes, they were sort of like they were walking out like zombies. It was just too much <laughs> for them to take. But you don't uh, I think them. one person. One person, um, Bruce uh, Joel Rubin tells a story. It's like he saw one person get up and walk out to the words, if I ever met, if I ever meet the guy who wrote that, I'm going to fucking kill him. Um, <laughs> but Adrian Lyon said he took the he took about 20 minutes out of the, the end of the movie because of those reasons. And I, 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 I feel the opposite to you, Chris. Watching those deleted scenes, I definitely think, not all of them, but certainly the one where he is battling on the bed after Michael gives him the, the antidote because the film to me peters out a bit at the end. There is no big battle that he has. I'd even take the scene where he confronts Jezebel. Like you do need him to sort of like have one final confrontation with this darkness before ascending to heaven with Gabe. And he doesn't have that. I think if this was a two hour, 20 minute movie, though, I don't I think I think I would have hated it. I think it would have just been too much. <laughs> agreed. Yeah. But I agreed. I just remove I, I'd have just cut elsewhere. I'm not saying where I didn't get that far in the process, but I do think it needs one of those scenes at the end as a, as a, a, a kind of climactic um, moment, a battle between him and his, well, demons. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's all I have. So that's it from me. Uh, did you did you not watch the remake? Uh, no, I didn't. I saw that it. I mean, I was kind of tempted, but everybody hates it, so. Nah. I'm pretty sure both. Uh, funnily enough, I may have got it wrong, but I'm pretty sure both the the remake of uh, Jacob's Ladder and Flatliners uh, have a, a grand total of eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, four <laughs> percent each. I haven't watched the Jacob's Ladder remake. I have watched the Flatliners remake. I cannot remember any of it. When I was doing my research for Monday's episode, I was looking into whether or not it was a remake or a sequel because Kiefer Sutherland's in it playing a character and they didn't seem to know whether it was the same character or a different character. And there was a deleted scene with a speech that was supposed to tell you, even though it doesn't. And then I thought, I just don't care. I really don't care. No one cares about this. 
Mm. <laughs> uh, so would you like to do the bits? Excuse me. Yeah, I just think the, other, the only other thing to say about this is obviously, although Jacob's Ladder wasn't a hit at the time and they put it down to maybe people didn't want to face the horrors of war while the Gulf War was happening, it was not the best time to release a film like this. But if you haven't seen it, you've seen the stuff it's influenced. Most obviously Silent Hill, the game, Silent Hill, the mm-hmm. movie and American Horror yeah. Story as well. I mean, yeah. copy and paste some of these visuals in both of those um, films and shows. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like my mum said, you know, it just doesn't play well in a Lancashire mill town <laughs> in the early 90s. It's bloody weird. It doesn't play well. It doesn't play uh, uh, well in Alex's living room in Highgate either. <laughs> I know, no. It's amazing, isn't it? All that time has passed and still mums do not like this film. That's the takeaway <laughs> from this. <laughs> Uh, okay, so Chris, what was your best scene? Well, maybe it's a scene that you guys were saying you didn't like just then. I don't know. Um, I I I was really moved watching it this time um, when um, Gabe takes him by the hand and they walk up the stairs. Oh yeah, it's, uh, it's I just lovely. thought I thought it was a really beautiful visual, and I was yeah, I got surprisingly emotional, which I wasn't expecting. Yes, uh, Alex. Um, demon sex party. Uh, I just think it's it's sort of strangely erotic, and she really sells it, Elizabeth Pena, in that scene. Uh, Like, and it's a very, it's just like the whole party scene is good, but that crescendo of that thing, like the way Adrian Lyne shoots it, it's like just sort of like you see wings and tentacles, and it's never really clear, and it's just quite a horrific, but like, just a real like what the hell is going on moment. So I think that's a, a really good scene. That, or I do think the ending where you just, it's so, it's like the two doctors in the medical tent sort of go, wow, he put up a hell of a fight though. He looks really serene and all of that. I think that's quite an impactful ending. But yeah, if I had yeah. to pick Demon Sex Party. Uh, mine's going to be, that's a nasty hospital. Um, I like, I just like all of that. I like For me, because it's the first time I've seen it, it's that jolt of recognition of things I've seen since to see where they came from. And that's that was good fun. And also it's uh, I like the the build up of this isn't quite right, this isn't this isn't right, this is a nightmare kind of thing. Uh MVW Alex. Elizabeth Pena as uh Jesse. Um I really didn't like her. And that's that's like in the best possible way, in the way that I think you are supposed to react to yeah. her character. Um, hell of a hell of a performance. Uh, yeah, hell of a way so to. She's so good, isn't she? Because yeah. she's so annoying as well. Like she's not annoying. Yeah. That's unfair. She's hard to like. She's like, oh, you got a dead son. Tough. Burn the mm. photograph. Like it's, that's not something you do. It's, it's the bit where he's staring off into the distance and he's like, I think he's still, re- he's recovering from nearly dying and she's talking yeah. to him and he's not answering. And she goes, hello, anyone there? And you're like, Jesus Christ, she's like a yeah. nightmare. She's a nightmare. And she says to him, he's nearly died. She's like, I've been looking after you for two weeks. It's like, oh my God, two <laughs> weeks. Like, wow, is that all? But that's, but you can see why he's drawn to her. You, yeah, I, you get that relationship and you get what they get from each other, but she's so hard to live with. It, she's really good. Uh, have I asked you, Chris? Sorry, I can't remember. Nope. Um, a shout out for the editor, Tom Ralph. I think he deserves some credit for this film. But I'm going with Adrian Lynn. Um, he said he didn't know how to shoot this script without people laughing, and so he had to do a lot of work on it. And I think he really translated what was on the page into cinema. Um, it was obviously one of his least uh, successful films, but I think 
it's far and away his best film. It's my favourite of his films. I think he really did a fantastic job adapting that screenplay. So that's my guy. It's uh, it's Mark, it's his um it's it's just just a back up what you're saying. It's it's Adrian Lyne's favourite movie of his own films as well. Uh, I'm gonna have to give it to Tim Robbins then because I I mean watching it now I know what Tim Robbins can do but imagine you're in 1990 and you know Tim Robbins from well Boulder, uh, Boulder maybe but Howard the Duck whatever and you go and see that like you would just be you would be astonished like it's quite a turn and it's quite a turn to, to watch now knowing how good he is at the, the harder stuff but imagine what a surprise it must have been for people back then so him cool I'm glad someone picked um, um, Tim Robbins because it is—it's quite. It, it, I think it was the start of a real uh, a slew of great roles for him after this. And Alex, if you could change one thing, what would you change? Uh, so this is a difficult one. I think it's probably people put some people's backs up, but I'd have, I, I love its fever dream quality. Sure. I'd have liked. I'd have liked to have believed that things weren't quite so weird in in the in the New York setting right from the start i think it could have been a sort of slow burn thing where you do actually believe he's back from nam and you know he's a little bit screwed up from nam and there's a scene where he's got a lot of demonology books and books on the occults in front of him. So it's almost like he's kind of investigating, like, what is going on here? Am I possessed? Or what am I seeing? Where are these visions coming from? And believing them to be something biblical, perhaps, but not necessarily like he's in purgatory. And I think sort of some slightly more traditional <laughs> investigation of like him trying to work out what's going on would have made it I would have grounded it a bit more for those people who find it just a bit too much of a fucking assault on the senses flipping between different periods with no explanation. So I think I think maybe I'd have liked that. I think it might have even worked better with the sucker punch of him dying at the end and that realization that actually he's dead. Uh like whenever you work that out being a bit more of um a big deal. Mm. What do you uh, think? Chris? You think I'm? You think I'm pissing? I'm, I think I'm. I think I'm going to have upset someone with that. But no, that's, that's I, how I, I feel. I just think my my view of it is that New York used to be a lot scarier than it is now, and so I just took it at face value. <laughs> it was just like, oh yeah, that is a hard place to be back then. That's all. I mean, certainly the subway in the 1970s was uh, terrifying, probably less terrifying than it is in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and Tim, I heard Tim Robbins on a podcast the other day talking about the fact that this was his what is his toughest, maybe his toughest ever shoot. That they were they were shooting in some really uh, horrible places, and it was really difficult uh, circumstances. Yeah, uh, what yeah. would you change? Um, so I think when Jacob reaches the big house at the end, I prefer it. I think I want him to burn his hand on the doorknob, then slip over on some micro machines. Then as he's walking up the stairway to heaven, <laughs> I want Macaulay Culkin to throw an iron at him. <laughs> so basically, booby trap the shit out of that house. That would be good. Uh, <laughs> that's very funny. Oh dear. Okay. How about you, Vicky? Um, <laughs> well, now I'm just going to sound stupid. <laughs> um, right. So, because I think that Bruce Joel Rubin has figured out the secret to a happy life, um, I want to see 
heaven <laughs> because it would make me feel a lot better in my own life if I knew what was coming, if anything at all. Um, and I would trust him. And uh, I want him to show me heaven at the top of that stairway. And I want Adrian Line to film it a little bit. And I don't want to see like an antechamber or angels or uh, trumpets or whatever. I want to see what that man thinks is over the other side because I would be very interested to know and I know it's personal and I know he can't show it and I know all of that but I just wish he had a glimpse of like and it's or what colour it is or something and then um, and then that would do me so there we you go. know, he hasn't, he hasn't actually been... He just took a lot of acid. He hasn't been to heaven. It's not like he's seen heaven and, and, and if he put it in a movie, you'd get to see what heaven looked like. The guy just drank, drank a fucking vial of LSD. Come on, Vicky. No, but what I mean is, just to be... Just to... Don't let me get serious, but let's get serious, right? He understands something that I feel I understand, which is you can only you can only know where you are and be so grateful for what you've got and where you are when you understand that it isn't forever. And a lot of people don't, and a lot of people move through life and they're scared of this and whatever, and, you know, fine. But once you have understood death, then everything about your life, it becomes so precious, and I feel like that. And I don't meet people like that very often. And so he does know. And so I wanted to tell you what heaven looks like. Is that too much to ask? It sounds like a lot to ask, maybe. You just said the same thing again. The guy hasn't been to heaven. He hasn't died and come back. He He's not a god. He's the guy who wrote Ghost. Right. Hold on. When, I can sort this out. Like I can sort this out. When we do when we do ghost, I'm sure we'll do ghost. Lots to talk about there. We'll try and get Bruce Joel Robin on as a guest. And then at the end of the podcast you can say, Bruce, what does heaven look like? Yeah, what, and I what? bet you what, yeah, you're laughing. He'll say, I'll tell you, Vicky, but I won't tell those other two because they're being mean. And also, they don't believe he'll the way say, you he'll do. He'll, so. say, I'll tell you <laughs> he'll say, I'll tell you because I've been there. And me and Alex will go, no, you fucking haven't. You took a load of drugs. Uh, yeah, yeah. He'll, uh, don't get me wrong, Vicky. If you go, so what does heaven look like? He will definitely have an answer, but it won't be what heaven looks like. It'll be the answer of a man who took a lot of LSD and goes, uh, so heaven, it looks like this. In, in unison, me and Alex will say, shut the fuck up, Bruce. <laughs> All right, fine. Fine, okay, I'm finished now. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, that brings us uh, to the end of this week's Clash, where Flatliners has taken on Jacob's Ladder. It is time for the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers! I want the truth! So, um, is anyone screaming to go first with this verdict? <laughs> no. no. Okay, no. Chris, why don't you start us off? <laughs> I don't care. Um, okay. So watching um, watching Jacob's Ladder again. No, I mean, there's a reason I haven't rewatched it. It's a really depressing film. And and watching it a second time, it, knowing the ending, it really weighs you down. I found it really oppressive and depressing even more so this time. Um, but in terms of, I mean, Flatliners... I think the difference in the issue is Flatlines has a great premise, but couldn't figure out where to take it, meaning that it sort of flatlines at the end. Whereas Jacob's Ladder started with the ending and worked back from there. 
And that simply makes for a much more satisfying viewing experience. I think it achieved something really special and taps into something quite profound, even if it doesn't show us what heaven actually looks like. Um, <laughs> and uh, for, for those reasons, I just think it's a much, much better film. I think it's a really special movie. So Jacob's Ladder. One for Jacob's Ladder, Victoria. So the the sort of like, uh, so St. Elmo's Funeral, I, I think is a very strong pitch. And I really, you know, I'm a sucker for Donna Tartt, the secret history, like this idea, these educated, privileged people, and you see it all falling apart. I love stuff like that. Um, but I didn't care enough about that group. They were never cohesive enough, even as a friendship group, that when things started to fall apart, you care about them. You don't really care about their private visions. And I think Jacob's Ladder is is... It's a snobby thing to say, but it's superior in its intention and it does pull it off. So Jacob's Ladder. Well, we have a winner this week. Jacob's Ladder beats Flatliners for the record. Um, I didn't love either of the films that much this week, if I'm totally, totally honest. Uh, Flatliners is so superficial. Nothing to get your teeth into there. Um, Fine, when I was like 11, uh, not so much now. Uh, Jacob's Ladder. Uh, yeah. Uh, I have loved thinking about it, researching it, and analysing it post-watching it a lot more than I did watching it. Um, like I've really... The, 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 the dive of going into this has been interesting. The actual experience of watching it, not as much fun as I thought it was going to be. Well, not fun, that's not the right word. But either way... Jacob's Ladder is clearly the better film by a long shot. So Jacob's Ladder, three for three this week. Jacob's Ladder is the winner. Good, big moment, big moment there. Um, I, I, I mean, you both voted for Jacob's Ladder, so I assume you're you're happy with that result. That said, yes. if I had to watch one again next week, I'd probably watch Flatliners. <laughs> 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 right, uh, let's talk movies next week. I believe, Chris, it's your choices next week, and you did give us a clue on Monday's episode. What was it? Uh, it was It Ain't Easy Being Green. No, oh, it was that. It Ain't Easy Being Green. So what are our films for next week? Alex, from 2003, you have Hulk. And Vicky, from 2008, you have The Incredible Hulk. <laughs> oh, it's, it's so confusing. I'm already so confused <laughs> about... Uh, I'm gonna get both mixed up. So uh, it's okay. Uh, my, mine has a villain made of electricity. That's how you remember. Is <laughs> one's oh, yeah. got? Is the, the one that's got Hulk dogs? Um, and I did look them up. If you're in the UK, uh, Hulk is on Netflix, and uh, Incredible Hulk is on Sky, and they're both available to rent on Amazon in the UK. Lovely. Lovely business. Thank you, Chris. Right, that is us done for this week. Um, if you haven't already, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ClashPod. If you can give us a little review uh, and you heard the start of the show, Chris is going to be reading out your reviews. So if on the podcast uh, sites that you use, you can give us a review, it, it may be read out. So that'll be fun. Uh, we're back on Monday. Talking Hulk. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production and part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hold up. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.